I'll never forget making my first million dollars. I called my dad. I can't believe I have a million dollars cash in my bank. And my dad was like, don't tell anybody. That's good advice. <laughs> of course, what do I do as a young guy for the first time ever seeing money? I buy a penthouse. I got the Bentley. I go and get the Rari. I'm traveling the world. I'm doing everything. I got the Rolex. I'm just, I'm balling. In the beginning, as entrepreneurs, when we want to make it, yeah, we want financial freedom. When I was hustling, the first thing I wanted to buy was a car. Why? Because a car gave me freedom. God gave me the most remarkable lesson. Investing it into the stock market, taking it to $20 million in my stock portfolio. And the stock market crashes. I lost it all. It was all stripped away from me. For me, that was the moment of like, all right, nothing's going to stop me. There is no plan B. If I did it once, I could do it again. That was the beginning of me figuring out what are my skills? What am I really great at? What do I want to really truly build as an entrepreneur? And that was the beginning of the birth of what now is known as EliteDaily.com. What's up, Disrupt Nation? My name's Tony Delgado, and welcome to the Disrupt Podcast, the number one podcast for people who are on a mission to change the world. On this show, we're gonna be talking to the top influencers, creators, entrepreneurs, thinkers, movers, shakers, and disruptors who are on a mission to change the game. Make sure that you smash that like button, hit subscribe if you're listening on YouTube, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure to drop a five-star review. It helps out the show more than you know. Now let's get into it. Next up is a really good friend of mine. And we had a phone call on my second trip to Puerto Rico after the hurricane. And during that phone call, I started off with tons of gratitude and this dude has actually changed my life. But in all seriousness, he's had a huge influence on my mindset. Before I moved to Newark, before I joined Founders, before I started playing in the ecosystem that is Northern New Jersey, I had a lot of living beliefs. And a lot of those are still there, but at least when I see them, I'm able to identify them. One of the big ones was investing in myself and knowing myself worth. The day that I met this gentleman, I pitched him, had no idea who he was. Just say, hey, you're pitching this guy that's at boring. And I pitched him this app idea. And he starts going crazy, tons of energy. He's doing, and he starts live streaming it. And I told him my whole story. I told him how my mother was a computer programmer when, when I was a kid in the eighties before the internet existed. And I told him I was a hacker for social good. And I used to remove viruses from people's computers after I hacked them. And, and. And he really just believed in, in my potential, right? And that's something that you spoke on too, John, was like, other people can see things in you that you don't see yourself. All this, tons of people in a room, people traveled all across the world. It's the result of other people believing in me. We all have limiting beliefs. We all wake up in the morning and have self-doubt. But other people look at you bigger than you see yourself is what helps you rise to great. And that's why you need to surround yourself with people, how you and speak to your greatness and not speak to your smallness. And so anyway, rewind, I'm pitching this idea and we finish the pitch. It goes great. And I go outside and I throw a cigarette in my mouth, light it, as I've done for 15, 20 years. And the guys come outside and look at me like, bro, what are you doing? You have too much. And listen, I tried to quit smoking cigarettes tons of times. I had been forced to quit smoking cigarettes for different times. And 
I've done it for health. I've done it for vanity. I've done it for all these different reasons. And one way or another, I ended up going back to it. And that one small piece of advice, you have too much to live. It really stuck. So me and my buddy, we kill the pitch. We go to a bar. We have a couple of drinks. We get in our cars. And I look over to him. We have like two or three drinks. And I'm like, dude, drive slow. You've been drinking. You have too much to live for. So we get home. I wake up the next morning. And I look at my pack of cigarettes next to my keys, next to my wallet, next to my morning routine. I pick everything else up. And I look at my cigarettes. And I say, I have too much to live. And I did that for six months. For six months, I woke up every morning. And I didn't touch them. I didn't throw it out. I didn't move it. I didn't draw. I stared it right in its face. And I said, I have to wish to live. So there's a million things that I'm grateful to this man for. But I know that not only will I live a longer life, but I will live a longer life that's filled with an even more amazing legacy. So I want to bring out my good friend, my business partner, a huge mentor, Gerard Adams. That's amazing to hear, Brian. First of all, I just want to offer my gratitude back to you for all the dedication and sacrifice that you've made to believe in me at a time that was really difficult for me as well. A lot of people see the outside. It's very easy to see the outside nowadays with the highlight reel of social media. And me having an acquisition of my company, which was a dream come true during that period of time for me, and we'll get into that story, I really was going through an internal transition in my life. And during that time frame, I really started to reevaluate my values, my standards, and what legacy meant for me. And to have left this life that I had before that was more of this like lavish lifestyle to realizing there's impact that I want to make in the world and going back to Newark and feeling very alone, being in one of the worst hoods in Newark, New Jersey, building out an incubator to serve the inner city entrepreneurs in that community to work with the youth. And just like any entrepreneur jumping out of the plane without a parachute and figuring it out along the way. And there is not many people that I think really were willing to make that same sacrifice to be with me on the corner of Norfolk and Sussex. Yep. And, um, you were one of those people. So I wanted to say, I'm so grateful for the sacrifices that you made and being a part of that mission for social impact through the principles of entrepreneurship. And I, I so got your back, Gil. Can we give a real round of applause? I know this is your first, there's a lot that we, you could learn from this, right? But the fact that you jumped out the without a parachute and came to Puerto Rico and are being a leader here to add to this ecosystem, I have your back. And I'm super, super proud of you. That's the type of leadership that we need in the world. Thank you. Yeah, so before we get into Norfolk Avenue in Newark, New Jersey, and those of you who don't know, I've said this in a couple other talks, Newark, New Jersey is the Bayamon of New Jersey. Okay. There's blood, there's crimps. When Cory Booker announced that he was going to end gangs in the city, they executed three college kids and sent the video to the news. So... This is the city where you chose after having a multi-million dollar exit to return to and plant your flag in the ground and create something for social impact. And me, myself, I volunteered as a kid and I always had a little social in me. But working with you and hearing you talk about social impact in such a way has really changed who I am as a human being. So super, super grateful. But let's talk about failure. I think too much people see the Instagram stories, right? 
they see the highlight right on social media and they don't see the failure. And even in great success, there are many failures along the way to get where you have to go. So yeah, I'd love for you to share like some stories about failure. I know you grew up in the streets of Jersey. You were a hustler, you were a college dropout, like not the Ivy Lee definition of what success is supposed to look like, like John was speaking about. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about like failure in your early days. Yes, John, I've loved your talk. Very similar to you, like entrepreneurship saved my life. And I didn't even know what entrepreneurship really was. I grew up not this, not really a smart kid and I wasn't a good student. Quickly, I got into a gang. Quickly, I started hustling. Quickly, I had just a lot of limiting beliefs. I got, I basically got bullied a lot when I was young to the point where a lot of people don't know this about me, but I have a scar on my face. I've actually gotten surgery when I turned about 19 years old because I've got jumped so many times. One of the times I got jumped, my face got put into a fence at the point of the fence and I almost died. And after that, it like scarred me literally, but it also scarred me spiritually, mentally. And I ended up joining that gang to protect myself and started hustling because of that. And I never really opened up about this story until very recently. It hasn't even come out yet publicly. It's going to be on my show, Leaders Create Leaders. So I grew up similar with these beliefs of not knowing if I was enough and not feeling like I was enough. My friends got into better, we graduated and my friends were getting into these great universities and I had just got away by the grace of God by not getting locked up and going to jail for a drop. And I decided to channel my hustle mentality into business. I was like, I want to make my parents proud. I want to make my father proud. And I felt that in that moment of almost getting arrested, cops rounding me and thinking I was going to get locked up into the ended up arresting the person that was creating Grand Theft Auto in front of me and telling me, kid, get out of here. And that moment, I felt like such a failure. That was the first moment in my life where I was like, I am such a failure. I was about to disappoint my entire family. And that was the part of the first time that I was like depressed. I didn't know what I was going to do. I ended up going to community college. Felt like that wasn't for me. Dropped out first semester, feeling like a failure. It wasn't like what it is today where it's like, you can drop out and you have Instagram to see all these entrepreneurs telling you like, it's possible. It was very, I didn't have that. I don't get, Gary V wasn't on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have that. And uh, so I felt like a, it was until I met a mentor and that's why like, I believe in mentorship so much that someone introduced me to someone that gave me a glimpse of hope that was there for me, that believed in me. And that's why my legacy is being that mentor now. And I was an apprentice. And then it, then it was like, I went from that having to believe in myself, feel like, oh, okay, I can, I see someone now, learn from them, start a business. But then I went through tons of failures and uh, I'll never forget my first demo day, my first time doing a demo. And it was an uber like failure. I'll never forget. I was so passionate about this company. I was doing the marketing with them. I wasn't the CEO and I got the room packed, 300 investors. I did all the marketing to fill the room. I've always, for me, marketing has always been my, my niche. And I filled up the room and we were doing the first ever live demonstration of our product, which was called the nano battery. It was using nanotechnology to reinvent the battery. We had a, basically a, oh, what's it called? Basically like a grid that, that basically separated the two liquids in a battery. And until you turn a device on, those pores would open, allowing the two liquids, the electrodes and electrolytes to mix, creating essentially an infinite shelf life battery. They hit that button, the room is, they're about to raise all, the, all this money in the room and the product didn't work. And that was the first time I was like, 
Oh my God, Rama, you're a, this is a terrible failure. Ben's to go back to Austin. Yeah, <laughs> I had to overcome that day. And, and so how old were you at that? I was like uh, 19, 20 years old. 19, 20 years old. But, and so you just learn so much from the failures. And throughout my entire life, from that first moment in my life to, I've launched so many businesses, it's not even funny. People see the successes, but I've tried everything. And uh, that's one of the things that I really learned is you gotta take risks, you gotta fail forward, but it's just, it is part of your like you have to realize that it's part of your journey all the way from that first moment when I was 19, 20 to even now, like every day I tell my team, like, yo, it's if you're not making mistakes, you're not moving forward. For me, it's always been a part of my entire career. And I think anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur, you have to learn how to fail forward. You have to learn how to truly learn from those mistakes though. But be willing to take the risk, be willing to break things. And uh, yeah, so that, might, that was the first of many, many failures. Though, yeah, for sure. yeah. I want to back up a little bit because you touched on something really important that I think it's a problem all around the country and the world. It's definitely a problem here in Puerto Rico. And it's limiting beliefs and people not believing that they're good enough. Is that what you said? And it actually reminds me of a story that's super, super connected to this island. So. When I was five years old, my father showed up to my uh, five-year-old birthday party. And then that was the last time I saw him. And every time I asked, I was like, hey, where's Pops? Where's Pops? Where's Pops? Always oh, working. And again, we were talking about legacy, like when I brought you on. My grandfather's legacy was to bring me to this island. And every single year until the day that he died, he brought me here. And the day that he died uh, was the last year that I had ever been here. And it was also a year where I had a huge revelation that changed my mindset and not in a positive way, unfortunately. I grew up a smart kid. My mother was a computer programmer, so super, super smart. And then when I was 12 years old, I was here on the island and with my brother and we're working out and we're in this shed. So we're in Arecibo and we're on the top of a hill somewhere in the middle of Casa Carajo and we're there and we're working out. And... He's telling me all these crazy stories about my father. And he's like, one time, your father, he was a bad, he was a bad motherfucker. And one time he was on a cell phone, he was on a pay phone and a guy comes up to him and grabs his chain, grabs his, and my father turns and looks at the guy and the guy was like a junkie. And as soon as the guy sees the look of my father's eyes, the dude immediately lets go of the chain and starts running away. He's like, oh fuck, I grabbed the wrong guy's chain. And my father took out a pistol and assassinated the dude, killed him. And so he tells me that story, and then he's telling me another crazy story, and another crazy story. And then he tells me, yeah, and Pops, he's not working, dude. He's in, he's in the jail for the rest of his life. And at that point, my mother had been lying to me my whole life. And I'm 12 years old, I'm like about to go to puberty, and I don't have the fuck to think. And I come back to Jersey, and I'm like about to go into high school. And I remember just like really obsessing over it. And thinking like, there's actually a song by Biggie Smalls. And he says, goes like, I'm a piece of shit. They ain't hard to fucking tell. And I remember just having that song like a reap, right? And really feeling like somehow that mattered, right? Like that mattered. And feeling like I was limited. Like I was supposed to, I was supposed to sell drugs. I was supposed to do X, supposed to do Y, I was supposed to do Z. And there's tons of people I was talking to Taylor about it recently. She was like, oh, my, my family's telling me this. My family's telling me that. And I told her, your family, no offense to anyone who's over 35, I'm sorry. But like, your family, you come from a different time. 
And some people like Chalaya, like a social media influencer. So this doesn't apply to you. It's a different time. It's almost like the time of cavemen, right? Like if I was going to tell you, if I was going to take away all cell phones in service, well, where do you live? You live in Arizona? Okay, great. If a hurricane hit Arizona and you guys had no forging and all you had was electricity, but none of your cell phones had any coverage and the internet was down, would you feel like you were in a good kid? You wouldn't. And that actually literally happened here. But I say all that to say our parents, our grandparents, our, our Theo, they grew up in a different time, right? And that limiting belief of I'm not good enough, right? Is something that most people live with for their entire life. They're living with the stories in their head of their parents or their uncle or their teacher. I had a teacher that told me I was going to be a junk when I was in fourth grade. He used to tell all the kids that would talk or laugh or throw a spitball. You're going to be a junkie. And it took me a long time to get rid of those thoughts of self-doubt. So I say all that to ask you, what was that aha moment? When did that light bulb go off in your head where you went from everything's impossible to anything's possible? So I actually grew up with unbelievable parents. And I think it plays a really important role. And it's something that I really look to achieve. Like I want my legacy more than anything, more than all the money in the world, more than like, you know, building big companies or even the impact that, that I make through my social enterprises and philanthropy. I want it to be my kids one day. I want it to be me as a father, as a husband. And I owe my father telling me that, making me watch The Godfather every year my entire life and saying, a man isn't truly a man unless he takes care of his family. And I've always thought about the sacrifices that not only did my mother and father make for me, but also my ancestors. My mother was born in Colombia and thinking about my grandparents, my great grandparents on my father's side, they were from Italy and they immigrated from Italy. So mother side, they immigrated from Colombia, my father's side from Italy. And I think about my ancestors. So the aha moment for me was the moment that I actually started to make it and then I lost it all. So after that failure at the nanotechnology story, a guy comes up to me and he says, hey, kid, I'm surprised you actually got me in the room. Here's my card. Call me. So for any of you that do a pitch, there's one person in this room that can change your life. Find them. And that one person gave me an opportunity to be, do marketing for him. And I remember being like, give me a shot. I'll take $500 a month. And that $500 a month ended up allowing me to build the company to $10 million of revenue, six figures a month in retainers. And I did digital marketing for small cap publicly traded companies for many years. And I ended up, I'll never forget making my first million dollars. I hit the, hit the, hit that combo and I called my dad and I was like, dude, I'm a millionaire. Can't believe I have a million dollars cash in my bank. And my dad was like, don't tell anybody. That's good advice. <laughs> so of course, what do I do as a young guy for the first time ever seeing money like that, right? I bought, a, I got the penthouse, I got the Bentley, I got the GTC, the hard top. I go and get the Rari. I'm traveling the world. I'm doing everything. I got the Rolex. I go, I'm like, I'm just, I'm balling. I'm a ball. Why do we all, like in the beginning, as entrepreneurs, when we want to make it, yeah, we want financial freedom. And when I think about the first moment that I either wanted to make money when I was hustling, the first thing I wanted to buy was a car. Why? Because a car gave me freedom. So I went through that and God gave me the most remarkable lesson. I went from being that person and not understanding my ego, investing it into the stock market, taking it to $20 million in my bank, in my stock portfolio. And the mark, stock market crashes. 
and I lost it all. And in that moment, when it was all stripped away from me and all my friends are graduating from college now and they're like, yo, but G made it. Let's get a job with Gerard because we can't get a job at this college degree. And we got debt. And I was like, I had this facade. I was like, internally, I was like, wait, like this is, this cannot have happened. I lost it all. I had to sell my cars. I had to figure things out. And it was my mother who gave me that moment. It was the moment that I didn't know where else to go. And I talked to my mother and she was like, you know, Gerard, I didn't want to ever tell you this. And with tears in her eyes, she goes, when I came to this country from Colombia, we had a studio apartment with all your aunts and uncles and that apartment caught on fire. And when I was walking home at 15 years old, I ran home with the fear of someone passing away in our family and they got out, but we lost the little that we had, we lost it all. We literally only had the shirts on our back. And I had to go and get a job on Canal Street in the winter at 15 years old, lie about my age, drop out of school to make a little bit of money to help your grandparents to rebuild. And she was like, and if I had to go through that and I was able to provide this roof over you and your sister's heads, everything, all that money in the world could be stripped from you, but they'll never take this and they'll never take this from you moment I was like I saw my mother looking at me in the eyes telling me this with tears in her eyes and I was like wow like I got that was it man for me that was the moment of like all right nothing's gonna stop me there is no plan b if I did it once I could do it again and that was the beginning of me figuring out and really honing in on what are my skills what am I really great at what do I want to really truly build as an entrepreneur and that was the beginning of the birth of me looking at how content for me has been everything. It's been the way that I've been able to become a storyteller. And I decided to create what now is known as EliteDaily.com with my co-founders. It's so cool. I think we have a lot of, I think our stories run in such parallel that it's funny that our paths crossed because you started a content company. And well, what year was it? Creating content or starting Elite Daily? Elite Daily. 2011. We, 2010 is when we started as entrepreneurs and then 2011 is when it actually became a business. That's so cool. So at the same time, I was doing something so similar and I think it's, I think it's amazing that, that we lived for 20, maybe 30 years, like a town over. And we were at different points in our lives. We hit very similar, similar types of adversity. And this speaks to, I think the culture of the ecosystem on the East coast. But so tell us more about Elite Daily now. So when did you first come up with the concept? How did you build your team? And what did it go from just an idea to this thing that was probably so big that you looked at it and you're like, what is this? It was like, uh, the, it was so much fun. Like it was so much work, but I don't know. Like I truly believe that when you, I saw that my friend post on Instagram this morning and he looked like it was one of his late nights and he was I don't want, it's almost like I don't want to go to sleep because I'm so excited. But at the same time, I can't wait to wake up tomorrow because of his, of that. And I think that has to happen. If you want to make it as an entrepreneur, like it has to be something that you are willing to die for you. It's, you love it so much it, that it's something that um, like a pass. I think ET says it, right? Like it's got to, you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe. And really it was like that. And we were naive. We got so many people doubted us. My girlfriend broke up with me. Like, what are you doing? Like everybody around me was like, so you're not a, like, how are you going to build a, how are you going to make money from this? You never built a publication before. People in the industry knocked us. None of us had journalist degrees, all that stuff. But no matter what, 
even though we had that na naivety, like every single day we just put in the work, we grinded, we figured it out. Like we, we built a culture and I loved it. I really genuinely loved what the mission of what we're building, which was, it wasn't for us, it wasn't just a publication. For us, it was looking at what is the gap in the market that we're looking to fill. You have to find a gap. I wouldn't start a lead daily again today. I would start a, I would start a media, another media company today. I'm interested in doing that or getting behind and partnering with a media company. But Elite Daily at that time had a gap and it was that millennials didn't have a voice. You had all these publications that were handed down to us that were written by people of another demographic, an older demographic, and the HuffPo's and New York Times and older magazines. I remember I would travel and I would buy Rob Report and Maxim and all these magazines that had been around a long time, but there was not a one-stop shop that was written by millennials for millennials that covered business, health, fitness, culture, dating, all these different topics. So we quickly, and by being bootstrapped was huge. I think that so many entrepreneurs today, they just look at like money is gonna be the solution for you to build your company. Like we eventually raised venture because we had proven that we had something that was real and had traction, but being bootstrapped caused us to figure it the fuck out caused us to be resourceful, caused us to figure out how to create strategic partnerships, caused us to say, we can't afford a huge staff, but how can we create enough value to, to allow contributors to become, to become, create the content for us, user-generated content. And we ended up building 2000 contributors. And just to fast forward, it went from the three of us in an apartment with folding chairs, getting people to believe in the vision of what we were creating. Again, creating a company and culture that people believe in the mission, the vision, of where we were going and giving a voice to millennials. And that grew to 200 employees. We eventually raised venture from some of the biggest venture capitalists in the United States. Gray Croft was our lead. And I really was the big brother of the bunch. My intern, David, I was like, you're gonna be the CEO. And I worked with him and I owe all of the lead daily success to that team, to David building it, to Matt, to my co-founder, Jonathan San Pedro, the COO of our company, to all 200 of our employees that were riding, ride or die for us. And if it wasn't for the team, it wouldn't have come together. And I never decided I wanted to sell the company. It was a moment that changed my life forever. And we can get into that, but I'll never forget that, that last board meeting when Daily Mail made an offer to acquire us. Because of a strategic advisor, we got an acquisition offer. And uh, I think it's just really important for you up for the startups in here to, to realize like how you can really position yourself by the advisors that you bring on your team. And when we got that offer, all of our investors, basically I even had got threatened, like we had to sell. Like if everyone cares about the numbers, the win, but I believed in the culture, the brand of, and the movement that we had created. So I made a pitch at that last board meeting, why not to sell? But my mentor was like, if everyone is out and my other co-founders are like, gee, like, we did it. This gives security to all 200. This allows the legacy of the daily to live on. And what we do after this is can be even more impactful. And at that time, I didn't see that. It changed my life, but I actually got depressed. I felt like you sold your baby. Yeah, like my baby, I didn't know. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I felt like that was the form and of like really the telling stories. And it was tough. It was really tough for me to let go of that. And I think that's why it was a successful company. So we should your heart in. And uh, Jess has to ask me a question uh, a couple of nights ago. She was like, hey, if you could choose top three companies that you would want to work at, what would they be? And I said, there's this really cool company in Puerto Rico called The Shrubs. Well, <laughs> number two and three, they don't exist. And I actually walked away because that's how user-focused my vision is. So like, 
for you at Elite Daily, you're a laser. They're like 50 million bucks. You're like, I don't care. This is my bait. So I could, I can only imagine the internal conflict that you would have had there. Plus, I just thought it was undervalued. But yeah, <laughs> that truthfully, I looked at the financials and I just felt that it was undervalued compared to our competitors and our peers. For sure. But yeah. So before we move on to after the exit, what's one thing about leadership that you learned from going to three or four people on chairs to this huge organization with hundred employees, thousands of contributors? I would basically say that when it comes to even like I used to tell the team, obviously we care so much about data and with us, like our success was like really understanding data, but behind all of the data, it really is understanding. And I think that the thing, two main things that I learned the most about leadership through this journey was like, one, really whether, especially with my team, having empathy, having a view of understanding what their goals were and like really putting them in the best position and, and just genuinely giving a shit about every single person that was part of that company and really giving a shit about our users was like everything, like really making sure that we thought about the people aspect, of course, and also filling your cup up. Like I really recognize that as entrepreneurs, we can really sacrifice to the point of not eating, not sleeping, putting everyone before you. I was that kind of leader. I put everyone before me. And I know that's something that you've told me yesterday. Like, I don't care about the leaders eat last. And I get that. And, and I love Keith Ferrazzi in that book, Leaders Eat Last. But I really genuinely learned that. I learned this from a Navy SEAL. And if you genuinely want to build a big business, you want to build an impactful business, you want to build an amazing team, you have to fill your cup. You have to focus on you first and make sure that you are taking care of yourself mentally, spiritually. And the more that you do that, I literally as simple as I just go for walks with my co-founders in a park, get out of the, get out of the business for a little bit because it allows you to think big. It allows you to spark that creativity to, to think differently. So for me, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of also stepping outside of it, outside of the business, filling up my cup, making sure that I was also being that mentor for my partners to get out of the business as well, to fill theirs. So that, that was really big as well. Awesome. So you have your exit and now you have big check and, but you have no baby, right? You have no, uh, you lost the lead daily to during the exit. So then what do you do next? And where was your aha moment for founders and how did all that come about? I'll try to move along and everyone's been sitting here for a long time. I appreciate everyone's patience, attention. The, what ended up happening, I think, and this is why I mean, this word impact gets thrown around a lot. And I recognize through social media that a lot of people talk a big game, but very few are willing to actually do the work. And entrepreneurship is about doing the work. So for me afterwards, what I really did was take a hard look at you know, what impact really meant for me. And even though my account was like, go to Florida, get the, do, get save on taxes, do all that. I started to really look at social media and look at the leaders that were representing entrepreneurship. And, and I like nice things, of course, but I was like, we need real leaders, not just influencers. And for me, it was, it was like, how do I want to not only be a thought leader, but be like, I used to say, I want to be a show leader. I don't want to just talk about it. I want to actually show the work. So for me, it was really like really thinking that, thinking about that, going and getting coached, working with Tony Robbins, working with some of his team, working with other mentors that build like multi-billion dollar hedge funds, surrounding myself with those kind of individuals where 
to them, they were like, it's not about the money anymore. It was about the impact and seeing that they were actually building things to create real world impact. And for me, it was a combination of thinking about that, looking at the social media landscape and saying, we don't need any more influencers. We need real leaders. Also thinking about legacy, thinking about my ancestors, again, thinking about my family who immigrated here and saying, but they landed in the United States. They met in Newark and they, my church is in Newark and my roots are from Newark and there's a lot of poverty there. There's a lot of, a lot of the minorities don't have real role models. So it's really as entrepreneurs, it's a small circle. We're, it's our responsibility to be real leaders and go back to where we came from, not only just support the entrepreneur community, but go back to your roots and think about how you're lifting up that community, how you're being a role model for the youth. And that was what it was for me. And I let go of the, finally, what an exit gave to me that I want all of you to recognize. If there's one thing is like, for me, for so long, I looked to prove myself. I wanted to prove myself to my teachers. I wanted to prove myself to my friends. When I was young, I wanted to prove myself to my father. I wanted to prove myself to the entrepreneur community. I wanted to prove myself to so many times throughout my life. It's like, I wanted to prove myself. And when I got my exit, it was like, and I started realizing my impact. I was like, all right, I feel like I don't have to prove myself. There's one thing I would tell you is you don't need a title. You do not need an exit. You do not need a million followers. You do not need a millions and millions of dollars in the bank for you to step up as a leader right now. For me, it took me a lot to get there. And that's something that I, that's part of the message that I want to create a movement around for because we need leaders more than ever before now. And that's why I'm here for you. So, that's so, so, so true. Like Gandhi didn't have a million dollars in the bank and Martin Luther King was around way before. So really excited to embark on this next chapter where we can redefine the word influencer and the word influence. The governor Cuomo, he's the governor of New York City for years. It's about a thousand followers on its follow. The CTO at Amazon Alexa is listening to millions of people's houses for the wake He has about 250 followers on it. I follow him as well. And these are people that have massive impact and influence over our city and over the future of our civilization. And I love the fact that you've taken your success, you've taken your influence and you've channeled it for social good. And I think when you do that, you become whether you like it or not, the subject of a lot of criticism. Tons of people have exits and don't try to do anything that go with their money or their effort. So I would love to hear your opinion on maybe the backlash of social impact. There are tons of people who, like I said, they have exits or they they make a lot of money and you don't hear them and they're not in the news and they're not saying, I want to save Newark or they're not saying, I want to help Puerto Rico. So what do you think, what do you think the solution is to, to that criticism? And how well, do you I think that there's criticism for ever doing good in the world. I think for me, the criticism came from, you're mentioning a lot of leaders that don't have a lot of followers. And that's obviously, that's, you know what I mean? The amount of impact that you make in your, you as a leader is not correlated to followers. But I do believe that like, it is also okay to build a personal brand and that we can redefine influence and redefine branding ourselves now. John mentioned like entrepreneurs, like the new rock star. So for me, I feel like I want to work with real entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs that actually do want to brand themselves, but they are very intentional with the influence that they're creating. They're not doing it because they want Insta fame. They're not doing it because they want to buy their next Lamborghini. They're doing it because they actually want to channel that into creating awareness, which is what consciousness really is, to things that are actually important in the world. And I think that we can leverage social media it's such an amazing tool. 
technology is such an amazing tool. People are scared of what's happening. There's a lot of people scared when you talk about these big terms, AI and blockchain, and because people fear change, they don't understand change. But throughout the history of humanity, technology can be used for bad or it can be used for good. When TV came out, our parents were like, oh, people thought it was bad because all the kids are not going outside and playing anymore and they're getting fed to have a consumer mindset, which is true. But it also has been used to, for documentaries and education and TV's created amazing things. So when I looked at social media, I say to myself, like it could be used for such good. It's just like money and you can't let it use you. You really use it as a tool. And the criticism that comes with putting, being a brand and stepping up as a leader and building a brand on social media is that you're going to have haters. But if there's one thing that I know about entrepreneurs is you're going to have that regardless. Your entire life, you're going to have haters. There's days that I get really stressed out and I have anxiety of keeping up with my personal brand and just documenting my journey. And it's tough. You, you care about doing this and doing real world impact. You're building a real business. But at the same time, you're actually building your brand and documenting because it's not because you want the brand. It's because you're trying to inspire. Tupac has an amazing saying. He's, I may not change the world, but I will spark the mind that changes the world. And for me... That's what I want to do. So for me, that's what I've leveraged is that I'm building my personal brand, which I will not probably, I don't know how long I'll end up doing it, but for me, because I want to inspire and I want to truly connect and co-create. And for me, take it off social media and actually meet real people. And for me, I, I think there's a lot of amazing individuals doing a lot of amazing work and we can leverage social media to really make a lot more impact. If you do it in the right order, a lot of people do it in the wrong order. And that's what I'm doing now is I've gone through learning this whole social media, personal brand and, and uh, creating a framework where I can now work with successful entrepreneurs, work with people that are doing the work, but also now want to be able to build a profitable personal brand that will create more impact. Digital Jeff, Nicole, Ashley, who's been a part of it. It has helped me with this show because a lot of people see the, again, the highlight view of the show, they don't know what goes in behind the scenes of the pre-production, the traveling, the narrations, the, the editing, how much time that takes, the post-production. It's a commitment. It's a real commitment, but it's the amount of impact that it's made, the letters, the DMs of changing people's lives. It's been all, all worth it. And it's, for me, it's not just a show, it's a movement. Leaders create leaders. That's awesome. What season are you guys on? What season? This is season four, and the theme of this season is called Conscious Creators. Super cool. It's on Entrepreneur Network. It's very dope. So the last thing I want to touch on is social impact and becoming a world-class leader. So let's talk a little bit about that. I know we've been here for a long time. For me, I think I've touched on a lot of it, but it's, I feel it starts with building a world-class mindset. Then it's become, building a world-class brand, and then it's becoming a world-class leader. And for me, becoming a world-class leader is how do you really see yourself in the world? How do you want people to really feel when you, when they think about your brand, when they think about your legacy, when they think about, you know, who you really are. And for me, I think it's really important that people do the work that you're doing. Go beyond. I interviewed someone named Jay Shetty on my show and he's remarkable. And he talked about becoming a monk for years in India. And I asked him, what was the, the hardest part about becoming a monk? And he said to me that they... His mentors that were monks, they dropped them off in the middle of a village with nothing but the role. And they said, figure it out for a month. And he said, the first week you go through survival, because that's what we are. That's what we have to, that's who we are, right? As human beings. And you try to figure out, like, how am I going to survive? I have no water, no food, no shelter. 
And he goes, by like the end of that week, going into week two, you realize, okay, if I actually just add value to this community and do work, not only will they give me, they'll give me work, they'll give me food. And then at least like week three, where like, you're like, holy cow, like I've provided so much value for this community. And not only do I have food and water and shelter for myself because I've added value, but you start to recognize that there's people around you that don't have water, that don't have shelter, that don't have limbs, that don't have eyes, that are sick. And you start to realize that not only can you provide to create an abundance in your life for yourself and for your family, but you can go a step further and help those in need that, that basically don't even have the given gifts that God has given you. And for me, that each and every one of us has a story. Each and every one of us can understand struggle. Each and every one of us have this unique differentiator within us. And as long as we know that you are enough, that you are everything and more, God has given you a purpose on this planet. And we are all have the ability to be leaders. We all have the ability to help those around us. We all have that ability, regardless of, again, followers, money, title, any of that. So for me, it's that is what I mean when I say becoming a world-class leader, going beyond just thinking about the success that you want to create for yourself, beyond the success that you want to create for your family. Go beyond that a step further. And uh, to me, that's who I want to work with, world-class. That's awesome. So one last question, and uh, then we're going to have a little break. What does disrupt mean to you? What does disrupt mean to me? I think disrupt means to me evolution. And I want to say that a lot of people think disrupt means that it has to be this revolutionary technology that has to disrupt something. And I believe that as an advocate of technology, of course, we should leverage it. But disruption does not have to be just about technology. It can happen on the outskirts of, of your dreams. Like it doesn't have to just be this revolutionary term. Disruption can happen by even just going back into your community. And again, like actually for me, it's like education, going and helping the inner city youth and disrupting education by literally just going into those schools and talking to those kids, talking to someone on the corner, disrupt their mindset. And I've seen how that's can really change the trajectory of someone's life. So go out there and disrupt man and God bless you. And I support you, Anthony, continue to disrupt bro. And thank you all for believing in this movement, being here for your time. And thank you, Puerto Rico, for inviting me here. I look forward to building relationships with each and every one of you, figuring how we can add value to each other. Entrepreneurs need to stick together, grow together, build together. Shout out to all the entrepreneurs out here. Love you. Peace.